Hey there, revellers and weirdos, and we have something different for you this week. Whilst we was researching our episode on The Descent, and if you haven't heard it, check it out. A little bit of self-promotion. I came across all this very fascinating folklore and stories surrounding the Appalachian Mountains. And we covered it in the episode, but we felt that it distracted from discussing the film. So we've kind of put it aside for this episode, which we're going to call Real Chills. And we might come back to this idea in later episodes where we discuss real life horror stories, depending on how popular it is. And as you can tell, Sam isn't here right now for this intro, because right now, as I speak, Sam is on stage performing at a dance show at the Hazlitt Theatre, whereas I'm sitting in this room surrounded by cats. You know, exciting stuff in comparison. Me and AK went to see the show last night to lend our support and I was not expecting how good of a dancer Sam is. She's a tap dancer on the side. Usually I don't see her perform, I just hear the noise of tapping feet in the kitchen as she's practicing. Either she was tap dancing or I was succumbing to the effects of tinnitus, but I was amazed at how good of a dancer she was. She performed four of the dances, one, she was dressed in this kind of Great Gatsby 1920s dress. Another one, she did Irish dancing. And one of them, she dressed in a trilby hat and this suit jacket. Had her amazing legs out at the time. Yeah, I'm a voyeur, apparently. And she performed this, well, is it cabaret? I don't know, I've never been to see cabaret. I guess it's not. Chicago? I really need to get clued up on all these dance shows. Sorry that I'm not proficient in my knowledge of musicals as I am with horror films. My fiance is an incredible dancer and I can't help but be proud of her and wax lyricals about her. So there you have it. And once she performs in the final show tonight, we have to rush around and pack her bags and then we're going on holiday tomorrow. Finally, a change of scenery Hallelujah! Our first getaway since the pandemic started. In a remote little cottage in the Welsh Valley. A little bit of solitude. Although, unbeknown to Sam, we are going to watch The Strangers. And considering the similarities to the events that take place in that film, to our home away from home, it should be quite an experience. I haven't seen the film either, so... Watching it outside of our comfort zone should get the desired effect. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, sit back and relish in the weird and wonderful goings-on in the Appalachian Mountains in our first Real Chills episode. Cue the rock intro. Real chills. Real chills. I feel like we should have a new jingo. Jingo? I feel like we should have a new jingo. Lingo. What's Jingle. Jingle. <laughs> okay, so for a 480 million year old mountain range like the Appalachia, which the descent takes place in, although was filmed in Scotland, bit of a cheek because the start of the film takes place in Scotland, so they didn't really go far. <laughs> The Appalachians 
is naturally steeped in centuries worth of folklore passed down from generation after generation of indigenous people then by early settlers. And to be frank, there has been a lot of weird shit reported over time. Putting to one side the numerous Bigfoot sightings you expect to hear, although part of me feels like that's just my brother wandering around in the wilderness half the time. Brother joke. Dad jokes. Well, no, you always pick on your brothers. They started it. Did they? Being a little brother, I'm always the butt of their jokes. Mm. Whatever. <laughs> and there's also countless accounts of unexplained glowing orbs that have been spotted in the night skies above the Brown Mountains in North Carolina. Here's a selection of some of the most eerie encounters in the area. Back in 1966, the sleepy town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was terrorised by a sinister visitor. Two young couples on a drive together witnessed a large flying man with 10-foot wings with glowing red eyes. Instinctively, they slammed the foot on the pedal and sped off at a reported 100 miles per hour but somehow the identified creature still was on the car's tail till they reached the city limits. So traumatised by their experience, the couples went straight to the police, as you would. And newspapers caught wind of the story and they dubbed the monster Mothman. Mothman? Oh, you never heard of the Mothman? No. <laughs> what? Yeah. They even made a film, Mothman Prophecies, with Richard Gere. Based, loosely, I should add, loosely based on these allegedly real-life reports. Okay. Yes, yeah, so obviously so far Sam is not impressed by the dubbing of Mothman, because that strikes fear in the heart of every man. A moth. <laughs> it's just funny because I look out for insects <laughs> on my walks, and am I scared of moths? No. <laughs> Spiders, yes. Moths, no. In and around Point Pleasant, more reports came flooding in of a man-like bat with a massive wingspan. Allegedly, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. Some have refuted these, putting it down to the residents succumbing to mass hysteria, chalking up the sightings to nothing more than a very aggressive sandhill crane. Would you mistake a crane bird for a giant flying man with glowing red eyes? No. Do they even fly? Yeah, it's a crane. It kind of looks part ostrich. It looks like a heron to me when I looked. A what, sorry? A heron. Okay, so it is, yeah, it's, it's got quite a big body though. It's a lot bigger than a, um, a heron. Does it have red eyes? No, it's got yellow eyes, but it has a red section around its eyes. But would you see that in the night sky? No. no, no, okay. Okay, the thing is, the Mothman signs were just the beginning of a weird year for Point Pleasant. People kept on reporting seeing these things, but now there was reports of UFOs and men in black creeping around town too. Mm. This all culminated in tragedy. Ten days before Christmas in 1967, the silver bridge that connected Point Pleasant to Gollipolis, Ohio, collapsed in the midst of rush hour traffic, killing 46 people. People have claimed to have seen Mothman on the bridge before it collapsed and now theorise its presence 
in town was an omen of some kind. How a flying bird terrorising people is meant to warn people or prophesize a bridge collapsing? I have no idea. I don't know. No. I think that's people putting two and two together. But can I just... I'm sorry, but I googled it. What? I googled Mothman. But I suppose you can google the giant Mothman statue which is now in the town centre. Yeah, I can I can see that already. It's metal with red eyes. Yeah, look at it. I mean, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think all towns should have something like that. I mean, yeah, look at look at this one. Whatever the case, there's now a Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant to bring in tourism. Not that I'm saying there was financial incentive to sensationalize the incident at the time, but it is what it is. Since the late 18th century, there have been published accounts of an ancient race of people who lived in the southern Appalachian region before the Cherokee arrived and drove them from their homes. They are said to have been given the name Moon-Eyed in reference to their poor eyesight in daylight, emerging from their rounded log cabins at night to hunt, fish and build fortifications. Kind of sounds like crawlers. There's an awful lot of speculation over the accuracy of the stories, debating whether they actually originate from Cherokee oral tradition, whether the moon-eyed people were real or simply mythical creatures, whether they built prehistoric structures in the surrounding area. Whatever the case may be, the moon-eyed people have vanished from the mountain. Well, if you Google that, you can see some apparently sculptures that they may have built. What am I Googling? Moon-eyed people. We should instantly show some sculpture, which I think people still debate where that came from. And also a photo of two children. Okay, that won't creepy at all. No, that's <laughs> no. Okay, let's move on. I really was not expecting that. <laughs> was that supposed to be a depiction of what they look like? I don't know. Anyway. In the summer of 1952, two brothers named Edward and Fred May were playing football, American football, not the good kind, in the local school's playground in Flatwoods, West Virginia, when they witnessed a UFO land on farmland close by. Informing their mum, the three of them, a couple of other local boys and a 17-year-old National Guardsman went to investigate just as dusk was nearing. In the woods nearby, they spotted an unidentified object that glowed red and seemed to have smoke and steam emitting off it. The guardsman shone his flashlight towards it, revealing a glowing 10-foot-tall monster with a blood-red face and a green body. The creature hissed and began to float menacingly towards the group who naturally screamed and fled in response. Naturally? Yes. I would do the same. Mm-hmm. Especially when it seems to be hissing and emitting steam like a kettle. <laughs> Doesn't happen in the UK, this stuff. No. Nope. After immediately reporting to the local sheriff, several of the group, according to newspaper reports, fainted and vomited for hours after their encounter. Hmm. And we've both watched Chernobyl, and I think that sounds like radiation poisoning. Well, I was, I was going to go for... Um... Sure, they haven't been doing mushrooms. <laughs> Tripping off their balls. Later, men armed with shotguns, this is America, 
Return to the scene with the guardsmen. They weren't met by the monster, only a foul smell in the air. Probably from the people who fled. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever evidence was collected was sent to Washington, D.C. That's for the conspiracy theorists out there. Seeing as there was very little UFO sightings in the 50s, especially a close encounter like this, the story made national headlines. To this day, people are still debating what happened that night in Flatwoods. It's now a celebrated part of the local folklore. Although some sceptics believe it was just a rowdy owl causing all the trouble. (laughs) A rowdy owl. You can get aggressive owls who sweep down and attack you, but would you mistake that for a ten foot tall red faced monster with a green body? If. Amazon mushrooms, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so that's the conclusion we're coming with. Mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably more plausible than the owl. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, okay. The Bills were farmers who lived peacefully in Adams, Tennessee until 1817 when strange and unexplainable incidents disturbed their quiet home. John Bell saw an apparition which appeared to resemble a dog. His natural instinct was to fire at it, of course, but it disappeared. A man named Dean, who was enslaved by the Bell family, apparently was followed by a large black dog on the evening he visited his wife. And John Bell began to experience paralysis in his mouth which somehow was linked to this haunting, rather than chalking it up to some medical condition. Fearing ridicule from the rest of the community, the Bells remained quiet on the matter for over a year. Only, whatever was causing this intrusion was gaining in strength. What started as scratches and knocks on the walls had become louder and more frequent, with the sounds of invisible dogs fighting in the night and chains dragging across the ground. And the Bell's daughters started complaining that something kept on pulling at their bed covers whilst they slept. Oh, great. Why would you tell me this at the moment? Because I'm a sick, sick puppy. Eventually, word spread what was occurring at the Bell Farm and soon people began to flock to experience the supernatural for themselves because this is before TVs. People got bored easily. This was more than just hearsay and sensationalism. At the time, doctors, lawyers and preachers signed eyewitness accounts to attest to what they saw. This includes future president Andrew Jackson, who was so intrigued by the story that him and his men investigated but were frightened away after they travelled to the bell house to see for themselves. Whatever it was, the poltergeist was gaining in power. It began to communicate in whispers. Yay, that would be fun. Mm. And within a year it found its voice and a name, Kate, after claiming to be a local witch. Which is odd, is does it exist at the same time as the witch or did the witch die? Maybe I should have researched it a bit more. It made fun of people, make an exception for Mrs. Bell, enjoyed scorning religion and threatened to kill John Bell with curses and the like. So not the most welcome of vistas. After John Bell died, Kate took the credit, announcing she had poisoned him for being a wrong'un. 
Life on the Bell Farm returned back to normal soon after, until the Bell's youngest daughter became engaged. Kate returned, acted out her contempt for the upcoming marriage, and somehow persuaded the daughter to break off the engagement to this local lad. Hmm. Hmm. So, it's also a agony aunt of some kind. <laughs> Eventually, the Bell Witch left for good and no other paranormal activity has been reported. So, that was a few of the chilling legends that surround the Appalachian Mountains. I don't know if there's something in the water, but this region is clearly a hotbed of high strangeness. And to Sam's conclusion, magic mushrooms. <laughs> yep. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScaringSamPod. And you can contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Stay safe out there tonight. <laughs>